Let us listen to God's word. In the year that King Ezra died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew at me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. The epistle reading today is from Romans 8, 12 to 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, for whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the name, word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I'm going to toss in one more passage this morning, a last-minute addition that is not in your bulletin and was not in Marty's script. This is from the Gospel according to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is Spirit, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, 
and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth And the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Today on Trinity Sunday, perhaps even more than most Sundays, we are aware of the presence of changing seasons in our lives and in the life of our congregation and even in the world. This is the time of year during which we celebrate the newness of life, and the bright flowers, and the greenery all around us, while acknowledging that in our culture, this is also a time to say goodbye to another school year. Who's ready for school to be over for the year? Can I get an amen? That's what I thought. (laughs) Even those who aren't teachers or students feel the shift in this season. In the church, we move from the meat of the liturgical year, Advent, Lent, Christmas, Easter, Epiphany, and we move on to a more relaxed pace, liturgically speaking. We enter into a long stretch of the year called Ordinary Time. Such an engaging name, isn't it? Ordinary Time. It's like they couldn't think of anything else, so it's just ordinary. Today in our scriptures, we see stories of call, response, Moving on, beginning again. Because every season brings with it a new call from God, a new reminder of where we are meant to be. And even as one season falls behind us, we enter into a new and fresh one. We have in the scripture passages that were read this morning three very different calls and response stories. Isaiah, the most well-known of the Old Testament prophets, Nicodemus, a religious leader questioning what he knows about Jesus, and finally in Romans, the story of us, the church today. In one of the most dramatic calls in all of scripture, Isaiah's vision is vivid and it is terrifying. God's presence fills an entire throne room, and God is surrounded by strange angels who are calling out in this call to worship, shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of all. The whole earth is filled with God's glory. Not only is the throne room filled visibly with God's glory, the angels say, 
God's glory fills the entire earth. And when the angels shout out the earth, the ground beneath Isaiah's feet, it rumbles. Before God even spoke, Isaiah was quaking in his sandals. He seems to know, though, that he's been called to say something to someone. He immediately worries about his unclean lips. He's worried about the ways he and the people he's from have used words. So the angel comes and cleanses Isaiah's lips. Once Isaiah has been made ready, God speaks. Whom shall I send? And now, having confessed and been made clean, Isaiah is ready and send me! He shouts, and for some of us, the hymn is running through our heads already. We'll sing it later, don't worry. What a different call story we see in John 3. Where Isaiah's call is a distinct moment issued to him in an astoundingly vivid vision, Nicodemus's call is more of a process. It's a longer story. Nicodemus gradually realizes that Jesus is calling him to challenge the status quo. While Isaiah sees God in a glorious throne room, Nicodemus comes to God in the quiet of the night. Maybe he's afraid to see Jesus in the daylight, or rather to be seen with Jesus in the daylight. Or there may be something deep down inside telling Nicodemus that he's about to be turned on his head. Does he have a sinking feeling that he knows what Jesus is going to ask of him and he's hoping that being there at night will ease that somehow? Maybe if he catches Jesus when he's tired, he won't be as challenged by him. But with Nicodemus's call, as with Isaiah's, there is a challenge made to him to become new. Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. But Nicodemus wrestles with this more than Isaiah does. For starters, he wants to take it more literally than Isaiah does. Sometimes taking things literally is easier because you can discount them. You can write them off by saying things like, you can't actually be born a second time, Jesus. Everybody knows that. Instead of taking on the challenge that Jesus is actually issuing While Isaiah is immediately ready to shout, here I am, I'll go. It's more of a slow burn for Nicodemus. And that's okay, because this is not the last time we will see him in the Gospel of John. And in Romans 8, we see another call to repentance and new life. We see our calling as the church, the people of God. And like Isaiah and Nicodemus, we are called to be new. Our tradition likes to refer to ourselves as the church reformed and ever reforming. We've been changed and we allow the spirit to continue changing us. We're called not to one confession and turnaround, but to a lifetime of repentance and renewal. I once heard a youth pastor read today's passage from John about being born again And illustrate it by saying it's like getting a golden train ticket to heaven. He said, all you have to do is say this particular prayer in this particular way, and you're born again, and you're good to go. And I'm pretty sure that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. (laughs) 
It was certainly the most dangerous. For many people, like Isaiah, conversion or calling is a very distinct moment. That's not what I take issue with. The problem is the idea that everyone's conversion experience is a distinct moment. And if you haven't had that magic prayer moment, you're not actually a Christian yet. Because while Jesus says that you have to be made new, some people take a while to get on board. We don't see Nicodemus responding to an emotional altar call. So that cannot be the only sort of experience Jesus is talking about. I also take issue with the idea that once that moment has passed or that prayer has been prayed like some magic incantation, we're done. Nothing that happens here in this building is a golden train ticket to heaven. What happens here is a call to be renewed people who are willing to constantly be renewed. Our calls are all both very much the same and very different. Isaiah is called to vocational transformation. This is what we usually think of as a calling, but this is a narrow definition. We often think of calling in regards to Christian life as being something that pastors and missionaries have. And, of course, not all people are called to vocational ministry. Not everyone is called to be church or nonprofit staff or uh, go off into the wilderness somewhere for disaster aid. But that doesn't get you all off the hook. We all still have a calling. And even though not everyone here is called to staff positions in churches or ministries, we can all still glean some important things from the story of Isaiah's call. There's something in Isaiah's calling that we are all called to respond with. Confession. Isaiah cannot be ushered into the next steps of restoration and full worship without first recognizing his uncleanliness and need to be cleansed. He can't move on to live his special place in the world without first addressing his personal call to holiness. Addressing the ways in which He has done damage to his relationship with God and with others. A call to holiness, as we see in Romans 8, is one that is placed on all of us. It doesn't matter what we are called to be. We are all called first to constant confession and renewal. Nicodemus, we see a call to personal internal transformation, not vocational Change, but that is still an important call. And we're not shown how he responds to the call in this passage, but later on in John chapter 7, if you want to look it up later, we see Nicodemus defending Jesus. And then again in chapter 19, he brings burial spices. So we do see evidence of Nicodemus's uh, answer to the call. The response is sometimes slow. It's gradual for many, and that's okay. Some just take a little longer to pick up steam. Nicodemus begins to question his faith, so he goes to Jesus, and his faith grows. And eventually he learns to challenge that status quo. It just takes him a little while. There's nothing wrong with saying, but how, a few times, before we finally understand what Jesus is saying. Sometimes we need to hear Jesus say it 
and then hear Jesus say it again, and then hear Jesus say it again, and then see Jesus doing it, and then see other people doing it, and then we might finally start to catch on. That's okay. We're human. That's how we roll. God didn't send Jesus to condemn us, sisters and brothers, and what good news that is indeed, for we are a slow and unclean people. Romans 8 then gives us the picture of what a changed, renewed people might look like. There's some confusing language in it that we must first address. When we hear phrases like live according to the flesh, we tend to equate this solely with very like carnal, physical sin, like sexual sin or gluttony, things like that. Um, And this isn't a particularly faithful interpretation of the Greek in this section of scripture. Sins like overindulgence, frivolous wealth, promiscuity, those are certainly included in this, but to limit it to that is too narrow of a reading. Some translations use corrupt nature or selfishness. And the reason those sins are sin is because they are symptoms of letting the world rule us. We overcome those sins and other sins that come about by placing the world's ways first by seeing the world in a new way, not by sheer willpower. Sheer willpower does not get us particularly far, dear ones. There must be a transformation of our hearts in order for us to respond fully to our calling to live as renewed and holy people. We are called to communal and social transformation by Romans 8. We, like Nicodemus, are called to challenge the world's status quo. Our own confession and renewal and transformation are evidenced by the ways we interact with others. We are called to be a family. You have received the spirit of adoption. We are asked to participate in God's relationship with us and with others. We are called to live in relationship with and unity with all those around us as a family. If we are to really change the world, we are called to live with one another, not beside one another. Life in this spirit is life invited into the Trinity. This is about relationship, community, and this community life leads to transformation. Many of you know that Israel and Palestine have been in the news again lately, as they are every so often, every few years. And a couple of years ago, I was there with a group of Presbyterians meeting with peacemakers in Israel and Palestine. And the one thing that they consistently said to us was this, the governments and the politicians are not going to solve this. They have proven that they care more about their own power than they do about peace. So we have to make peace from the ground up by getting to know each other and through education and art and culture and telling our stories. Friends, this is exactly what Romans 8 is calling us to do. We aren't called to fear, we're called to renewal. And that might make us unpopular in some circles. So what? Jesus isn't about winning popularity contests. One of the places that we went when we were in the Galilee region was a place called Sindiana. Sindiana is a collaboration of Israeli and Palestinian women who make olive oil together. You can get their olive oil on Amazon. Hit me up for a link if you want it. It's amazing. (laughs) It's incredible. 
Um, and you can also get it at Whole Foods, I think. But what they make is far less interesting than why they make it. These women have come together across cultural lines, across language barriers, and in spite of the puzzlement and even opposition of their friends and families. They're passionate about creating jobs for women in their area, many of whom have lost husbands, fathers, sons, and brothers to war. And they're passionate about getting to know one another. They believe that the only real way to peace and healing in the world is by learning one another's stories and getting to know people who are different, including and especially those we are afraid of. What a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. Sometimes we focus too much on individual transformation, especially in the American church. But there is that second transformation, social who are you in the world and with the world? We cannot forget this social community transformation. When we say holy, 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 we say holy three times. We say it in several of the hymns today. We say it during communion at one point. And this is a reference to the three-in-one God we serve. It's a direct reference to the communal, relational nature of what our business is as Christians. Just like Isaiah and Nicodemus, we are invited into the life of God and God's ministry, and that is a joint effort. One of my commentaries this week says, Isaiah's personal transformation makes him sensitive to God's call, which in turn leads him to respond to that call with no hesitation. The second transformation is accepting one's social responsibility toward the world as God's agent or coworker. As we move into what the church calendar calls ordinary time in a not-so-ordinary year, let's remember this. The changing of seasons is a reminder that no matter how far we've come, there is still always something to learn. No matter how many seasons we have been through, every change of season is an opportunity to reassess our calling and our place in ushering God's kingdom of healing and peace into this world. Each new season of life is an opportunity to repent, to seek, to listen, and to see the world with new and fresh eyes. Each time we say hello or goodbye is a reminder that our call as Christians is not one sentence set in stone but it's a living, breathing, ever-growing way of life. And that's difficult in the moment sometimes, but unless we let go of each season as it leaves us, we will never fully be able to live into our invitation to be God's agents and co-workers in the world. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Send me. 